Well, hello, everybody. Wherever you are, we're really, really glad you're here. I know uh, most of you are probably at home right now watching online. Maybe you're podcasting later. Maybe you're at one of our pre-gather events at at one of our campuses. And and that's, of course, great, too. Maybe you're at a watch party. Uh, Today uh, is uh, Mark's is pre-gather time. But in two weeks, not this next week, but next week is re-gather November 1st weekend also happens to be my birthday. November 1st is full regather, which is also All Saints Day, by the way. Uh, they did that, I guess, in honor of me. It was a nice gesture. Um, but uh, I think maybe it predates me. But um, but November 1st, that weekend is the full regather with kids Zone and the whole thing. And so make sure you show up in person if you're comfortable. And I get it. If you're not right now comfortable, if you don't feel safe doing that, um, we'll be wearing masks. We'll be distancing. But I get it. You say, man, I'm just not ready. That's OK. We're going to continue to be online, continue to do a great job of that. But regather is in two weeks. And if you're up for it uh, to to regather well, to really do a, a great job with kids on everything, uh, we need some more people to step in and say, man, I, I want to help make it happen. And you can go online and find out how to serve. And it'd be a great time and great way to jump in. So today we are finishing the series we've been in uh, called Going There, where we're uh, taking a fresh look on issues that divide. And we've been looking at issue after issue after issue. This is the last one. I'd encourage you to go back and watch them if you miss them. And today to introduce our topic, as we're looking at these things from a biblical perspective, uh, we're going to do it by just playing a little game and um I don't know how to win the game, so maybe it's not a game, maybe just an activity, but that's okay. We're all winners in this game. Okay, so we're, and you can play at home. You can play even in your car by yourself if you're driving around, whatever. Um, all I want you to do is when, when I'm going to put something up on the TV, and I want you to react to it strongly. Okay, so it, it, you, maybe you're going to cheer. Maybe you're going to boo. Maybe you're going to cry. Maybe you're going to clap. Maybe you're going to... I don't know. Just however you react. It's kind of like emoji, but do it out loud. All right. So here's the first one. Texas A&M football crowd. Pretty positive, actually. Okay. Um, Brussels sprouts. Bunch of weirdos. All right. A lot of people like Brussels sprouts. I guess God made them. So Justin Bieber songs. All right. We got a good crew over there. And I have to admit, when I first put that out, I thought, well, you know, not. But I, I, I just remember a couple of years ago, I was listening to some song. And I was like, man, that is good. I like that. It was new. I hadn't heard it before. And sure enough, it was the Beeb. So I guess I'm a believer. I didn't even know it. And uh, and, and he, is, he evidently he is a brother in Christ, too. So that's kind of cool. Licorice. Okay, you guys like everything, I think. All right, here on at least in in this particular crowd. The worst thing uh, as a kid for me on Halloween was jelly beans and thinking you're eating a grape. And it's, in fact, the licorice one. That's awful. It's not as bad as coronavirus, but it's close. Big business. Okay, yeah, we don't know what to think about big business. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about business, but. Um, you know, when you think about big business, right, there are some people who are like, oh, man, it's ominous, like big business, because you see these people up in some ivory tower and they're making decisions to uh, further their self-interest or ruin the world. And maybe you see it that way or maybe you think, no, I'm I, I want to be those people like I, my dream would be 
to be in the executive suite of a Fortune 100 company and to advance my career and all. Right. But uh, but that's big business. And we'll talk about business. But how about small business? Right? That changes a lot. Right. That's uh, I mean, how do you not like small business? Like, that's like puppies or babies. It's like, oh, you know, yeah, everybody wants small businesses to succeed or, you know, right. And and it is kind of the backbone of all that happens. So that makes sense. Or how about this? How about work? Your job? Okay, not not as exciting. Um, And I understand that because we're going to talk about that, how work is good, but it it can be really frustrating and difficult. We'll talk about why. But uh, some of you are like, man, I don't want to think about work. I mean, I'm I'm watching church or I'm at church or I'm at a camp because I'm trying to escape that. I'm trying not to think about work. But today uh, we're going to talk about work and we're going to talk about business. And for two really important reasons, one is from a cultural perspective, um, as we're going through this political season, as we're thinking through and having all these conversations and all these ideas about business and jobs and all that are being thrown around, I think we need to think well. We need to think deeply. I would say think biblically about business and about work and about jobs. But even more importantly, my goal today is individual. And that is I want to send you back to work this week. And I don't care if you get paid for your work. Some of you don't get paid for your work. Uh, you, you know, you work at home. You're raising kids. You volunteer. You're engaged. However you work. A lot of you do work and you do get paid. That's great. Some of you are looking for work. But however you work, when you go back to work this week, I want you to be pumped up. I want you to be excited. I want you to be like, man, this is awesome. I can't wait to get to work with a whole new mentality, with a whole new perspective, with a whole new purpose. Because we're going to talk about something that God is doing and wants to do through your life where he has placed you at work that is way bigger than just getting a paycheck or way bigger than just advancing your career. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do it by really telling the story of work. It's like a biblical theology of work. But it's going to read kind of like a story. It's going to have a beginning, middle and end. And every good story starts at the beginning. And here's where it starts. Work is created by God to be good and business along with it. Business is too. that goes all the way back to when God created the world and he made, you know, the Garden of Eden paradise. This is before sin. Everything was perfect. Right. And and everything good. But even in a a perfect world, you might think, well, a perfect world is no work. A perfect world is like it's five o'clock somewhere all the time. Uh, A perfect world is like it's always Saturday. There's never work. But that's. That's not uh, the way God created us and not the way God created the world. Before there was ever sin, uh, there was work. And there's a reason for that. Genesis 126, 28. Interestingly, the last three weeks in, in all of our topics, we've been on this passage, obviously an important one. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we have the way we're created and then a mandate. Uh, Both of which involve work because to be made in the image of God means that we're made in many ways like God. Like you and I are creators like he is. We're creative. You and I are accomplishers. You and I are made to do something. 
not just to float around or do nothing. We're made to accomplish things just like God. He worked for six days, you know, in the days of creation and on the Sabbath at a day of rest, work and rest, work and rest. God is a worker. He's an accomplisher. And you and I are, too. We are created that way. And God has all the gifts and abilities. But you and I have some uh, in order to fulfill the mandate. What was the mandate? Two things. Be fruitful and multiply. Which the be fruitful part is kind of fun if you think about it. That's for married people, the be fruitful. Um, you can practice that at home sometime later. And then if you're married, that's another sermon. And then subdue the earth and rule over it. And what does that mean? Well, that, what that means is they, as they, as population grew, right, they would have societies and, and, and make life work on the earth, which would demand a lot of work. In fact, in Genesis 2.15, it says that God placed Adam in the garden to work and care for it. So before sin entered into the world and all that was this thing of work. You and I are made, created to work. And if we don't, we actually don't do very well. Part of flourishing in life is having meaningful work, is having meaningful something to do, a meaningful way to make a difference in our world. And if we don't do it, then life is actually not very full and not very fulfilling. Like when people retire, you know, you think, man, the the goal of my life is to get to where I never have to work again. But how many people get to that point and then they don't do so well? They don't live very long. They don't, you know, they just kind of fall apart because we're made to work. It doesn't mean retirement's bad. You can retire and not get paid and that'd be fun. But man, if you're retired, you need to volunteer. You need to engage. You still need something to do to do well. It's like a number of years ago when our kids were smaller, um, we enjoyed sailing and we still do that every now and then on vacation. But uh, somebody in the church found out about it, Chase Oker, and who had a, and he met with me and he said, man, I've got this great boat and it's a 36 foot sailboat, it has two cabins, but it just sits there all the time because he worked in Nigeria for ExxonMobil. He was never in the country. And he's like, man, I, I need you to use it like it's yours. And, and so we did. And this is the way, this is the best way to own a boat. You know that, you know, the probably little joke about the two best days of a boat owner's life, uh, the day they buy their boat and the day they sell their boat. And because they're always broken, they're always something going on. He said, that's always going to happen. But here's what I want you to do. Whenever something breaks or you break it, because that's going to happen, that's okay. Or whatever goes wrong, here's the car to the person to call. He will fix it and send the bill to me, to that guy, to the Nigeria guy. And uh, But you just use it like it's your boat. And we did. But we would say, man, thank you so much. Thank you. He said, stop thanking me. You're doing me the favor because boats are made to be sailed. They don't do well just sitting there. It will fall apart just sitting there. And you and I are the same. It's how we're created to work, to have something to do. Work is actually a really good thing. What about business? Well, business too. Because if you think about it, what would happen if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, which kind of messed up everything. We'll talk about that. That's the next part of the story. What would have happened? Well, they would have began to be fruitful and multiply and population would have grown. And as there's as they're exercising dominion over the earth, what would they do as they spread around the earth? Well, they would build uh, cities and build cultures and build societies. And that would involve lots of different kinds of jobs as different people have different gifts and abilities. And there'd be some people, right, they're really good at construction, some that are good at farming, some that are good at uh 
fixing food, like making food, some that are good at engineering, some that are artists, right? And everybody would kind of do their thing. And as the population grew, they would start organizing to say, hey, let's let's get, you know, we need more scale. So let's get some people together, a group of people who could do construction, a group of people, what we call business, which means if sin had never happened, businesses would have been there and businesses would have flourished and and been great places to work and serve their society and all that kind of stuff. And there were, I mean, there are jobs that, you know, without sin wouldn't be there. Like there wouldn't be uh, medical workers probably because nobody got sick in paradise before sin. Be no morticians, you know, because nobody died. No casket makers, things like that. There'd be no law enforcement because they'd have nothing to do. There'd probably be no pastors because everybody had a perfect relationship with God. So there wouldn't be me, not my job. But if you're a businessman or businesswoman, there would be you. It's part of how God created our world and he designed it to be good. But I know some of you are thinking, well, okay, so work is designed to be good. Business is designed to be good. But Jeff, you come to come to my Come to my company, come to my school, come to my, uh, you know, whatever, wherever you work, hospital, whatever. Come sometime and I'm telling you, it's not that great. Pretty messed up. Or my job. I mean, I know some people have great jobs and they love it and all this kind of stuff. But man, my job, uh, not so much. Work is actually, you know, not really that great. Well, why? Well, that's the next part of the story. The work is designed to be good. It still is good. Business designed to be good still can be good. But what happens next? It's what we call the fall when Adam and Eve chose sin and plunged the world into the all the confusion and darkness and all that that we're now in, including work. And that's the next part of the story. Work is now cursed and business is corrupted by sin. When Adam and Eve chose sin, and by the way, we can't really blame them for messing up the world because you and I make that same choice every day. And when we choose to sin, just like they chose to sin, basically it's saying to God, you know what? I want to do what I want to do. I really don't like your deal. And I don't think you have my best interests heart. I don't think your way's better. I'm going to do my thing. And that's what Adam and Eve did. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that changed everything. Because along with sin came death, came decay, came destruction, came violence, came diseases like we're dealing with. Just everything was impacted by the fall. Everything impacted by sin, including work and including business. In fact, work is singled out. Because it is cursed. It's a cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust. You are and to dust you will return that now work is going to be really difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's not that it's all bad, but it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be futile. That's what the New Testament, the word uses is futility and frustration. And I'm sure you experience that at work, even if you've got a great job and you love your job. I mean, I'm in that category. I love my job. I get to work with the best people on the planet, Chase Oakers. And I I get to work with and serve with and all that. I, I am blessed. I am. I'm thankful for my job. I've got the best job, I think, of anybody on the planet. But even then, there are days Right. I had one of those this week where I got grumpy and all that because it just wasn't one of the more fun days in my 
what I do in ministry. And there are things I was dealing with I didn't want to deal with and some attitudes of people I didn't want to deal with. And I and, and I, you know, then you start to feel the futility, wonder, man, why, you know, am I even doing anything good? And all, all those things that doesn't happen very often, but occasionally it does, even in the best work, even in the best job, because um, the fall. And that's part of the curse. What about business? Well, like I said, business is good, designed by God to be good, but now corrupt. And therefore, yeah, companies operate because of sin out of self-interest often. They operate in ways that, that don't value their people the way they should or don't treat the environment like they should or don't whatever like they should. And now work is good, yet cursed. Business is good, yet corrupted. And so in light of that, we're going to take a little kind of break in the story to say, what does that mean when we think about business and work as cultural issues? And what we've been doing so far in this series is saying, okay, as we've been looking at things like race and the environment and all that is saying, look, we can let's look at let's focus on biblical common ground and say, where can we as and I know all of you are Jesus people right now. Some of you are figuring that out or maybe open and searching. I don't know. But um, but for those of us who are Jesus people, we look to the Bible as our guide to say, hey, let's put our biblical filter on as we think about these issues, politics, race, environment, business, whatever. Let's look at let's make sure we put our biblical grid before any other grid, like our political party grid or our Facebook friend grid or cable news grid that we watch or whatever to say, let's just make sure we're thinking biblically. They're thinking, well, and then down here. We might very well disagree like, you know, we some people might uh, like on the environment or whatever might you politically might have this thing, this thing, this thing. And so let's play with that a little bit. I'm thinking about work. Work is good, yet cursed. Business is good, yet corrupted. So what does that mean? That's the biblical common ground. Well, let's talk about business. If business is good, yet corrupted, we can agree to that. To think, well, if business is good, then we need to figure out ways to promote business. If it's corrupted, then we need to figure out how to deal with corruption. So how do we promote work? How do we promote business? Well, some people politically over here might say, well, this is how you do it. You know, their tax thing or whatever. This people, oh, no, no, it's this way. Or how about the corrupt part? How do we, you know, some people say, well, we've got to regulate business because it operates out of self-interest because we're in a sinful world. So we need, let's say these people, a lot of regulation. These people over here would say, no, um, we need the free market to work itself out. Just trust the free market. We don't need government getting in the way. Other people would say, well, something in between. There's room for disagreement down here. That's fine. But let's just make sure we're thinking well about it here. And when we have common ground here, we can actually listen and learn from each other, even appreciate each other and their differences or jobs. I think most of us would agree. Probably all of us would agree that the best way to lift people out of poverty and the best one of the best ways to help people flourish in life is a meaningful job that pays the bills that. Uh, that expresses their gifting and, and all of that. Like we are made to work and that's part of flourishing life. And if somebody is in need, creating dependency is really not the best way to do it. We've seen that. But uh, if, when you can provide meaningful work is. So I think everybody would be like jobs are good. But people would probably disagree. Well, people surely disagree on, well, how do we do that? What's the best way to create jobs? What's the best way to do that? There's room for that. So as we think culturally, let's think really well that, okay, business is good, 
but it's messed up and we need to deal with that. Work is good uh, and we need to think about how to um, protect that, too, and, and how to help people engage meaningful work. That's the cultural part of it. But my main goal today is the individual part of it. Again, I want to send you back to work this week, wherever you work. I want to send you back to work this week with a new sense of purpose, a new sense of perspective, a new energy. So much so that people will be like, what got into you? I want you to get so excited by the end of this talk that you start getting dressed for work, like right after this service is over. And whoever you around or whatever, be like, what are you doing? I just can't help myself. I'm just ready to get to work. So to do that, let's get to the next part of the story. God wants to partner with you to restore to work what he originally intended. That God has you in the work environment to do something really big. And it's part of what God is doing in this world as he is intervening in a broken, dark world when Jesus came to this planet to begin to restore to this life on this planet what he originally intended that sin messed up. And one day Jesus will return. He will finish that job. But he is at work now and he invites you and me to join him being restorers in all area of life. So we're going to talk about what that means when it comes to work. And we're going to do that by taking a deep dive in a really important passage in the Bible in Romans 8. And some of you love when we do like a biblical deep dive. You're like, yeah, let's do it. Are you going to use, are you going to say something in Greek? Because Greek is the original language of the New Testament. And you're like, are you going to do that? And yeah, we are. And you're going to be, and you're all charged up right now. Oh, that's great. I love it. That's my, and some of you, not so much. And you may like a biblical deep dive, but you may have to, you know, slap, slap, uh, slap your cheek every once in a while or take a pill or get some caffeine or something like that. Cause I, I need you to stay with me because this is really cool. And we're actually going to get to, this is our theme verse, although it's very, I think, misunderstood. And it's one of the most well-known passages in all the Bible. Now this is in King James, which is like 500 years old translation of the Bible in English, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I bet a lot of you have heard that before. All things work together for good. Um, and it's like a, the way it's translated and the way it's understood here is, is, a, is something you would maybe put on a pillow, you know, and, and maybe put on your couch or bed or how many of you have like in your bed, like have like a hundred pillows. And uh, some of you do. Right. And, and I bet somebody who lives with you, if they do, are like, why do we have so many pillows? And uh, and I don't know. I, I, I think that's an unanswerable question. That's one of those mysteries in life. Um, maybe I guess if your neighbors like attack you with a pillow fight, you'll have a full arsenal on your bed. You can win. I, it's the only reason I could ever think of. But you, it's a kind of like comforting. It's, it's kind of stoic comfort. It's like, hey, life's going to stink. Life's going to be hard, but somehow it's all going to work out for those who love God. I think that's actually a really poor understanding of the passage. And, and, and this is new to me this week because I've taken a deep dive. I, mean, I think instead of a, a, a pillow comfort, this is actually our mandate and kind of a kick in the rear, and we're going to see that in a minute. But first, let's, as we take the deep dive, we're going to start by looking at the whole context around it. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That's what we talk about in the fall with sin. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself 
will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Meaning we live in a cursed, messed up earth and we know it. We look at all that's going on in the world. We like, it's so messed up. And one day Jesus will fix it and and create what the, what Paul's saying is all of creation is waiting for that to happen. Like he already began it when he came the first time and he's working on it now as we're going to see. But all creation is groaning, waiting as in pains of childbirth. Like it's not going to be like this forever, but there's waiting. They're in pain for this good thing to happen. And that's true of us, too. Paul says not only so, but we ourselves as human beings, if we have a relationship with God, God begins to transform us. He begins to make our lives better, but we're in process. So we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, the Holy Spirit who's in our life, God who's in our life, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship. You ever get frustrated yourself for not being better? For going back to the same mistakes and the same sins and the same thing? You're like, ah, that's what he's talking about. We're in process. Truth is, God's working on you. You're better now than you were a year ago, probably, if you know Jesus. But we're in process. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So he's saying, look, God has intervened in this world. One day he will fix it. Right now he is restoring to life, to this world, what God meant this world to be and that sin is ruined and that sin is taken away every area of life. And guess what? He wants to use you and me to do that. And so what do we do? He goes on. First thing is we pray in the same way. The spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't we don't know what we ought to pray for. But the spirit himself, that's God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us through the wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. What he's talking about here is sometimes life is so messed up. We don't even know how to pray. And we don't know what to pray for. And some of you are feeling that right now. When you look at all that's messed up and all that's broken in the world, you're like, God, I don't even I don't even know what to say. Some of you are feeling that personally, like at home, you're trying to figure out how to keep your com- your business going or your job going and you've got kids and they're in school or they're not in school and you're homeschooling and helping them there and they're struggling or they're doing and, and you're you've been around each other a lot. And you're starting to get on each other's nerves and you love each other. You don't know if you like each other anymore. And you've got a teenager who all of a sudden's turning on you and you're like, ah, I don't even know what to pray for. God, it's just all you can do. Just kind of go. Ah. And what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit will take that. Ah. And turn it into a prayer that makes sense to God and God will answer it. Pretty cool. But beyond praying in this broken world where sometimes it's so messed up, all the cultural issues, everything so messed up, we don't even know what to pray for. We also are invited to participate, which gets us to the next verse, which is our theme verse, which we're going to see a very different understanding of. And here's the King James translation of it. I don't think is the best. Now, because English translations are from the original Greek and that's where we're going to go. And we know that this is the verse again. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, I need you to stay with me. We're going to take a really deep dive into this verse. Do this if you need to. Do you remember in English doing little diagramming sentences, you know, where you had to put the subject and the verb and the object? You remember this? Some of you love that. Some of you hated that. Well, when you look at this in the original language of the Bible, of the New Testament, at least Greek, It's really obvious that this is not right. 
that all things is not the subject. Your English teacher would give you an F if you made all things the subject. It's not that all things are doing something. It's the subject in the sentence is God. Now, the NIV, this is the New International Version, gets that right. And we know that in most, all, really all the modern translations do too. And we know that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So it makes God the one doing something. He's the subject. But it still has this word as works for, which means you and I, if we love God, are the recipients of what God is working for. The problem with that translation is that the word here works for doesn't mean works for. It was a different word. If Paul wanted to say works for, there was a word or actually two that he could have used and he often did use to communicate that idea to work for. But that's not what he uses. Instead, he uses another word. Now, this is where we're going to go Greek. And some of you are like, oh, I like it when he does that. Some of you are like, what are we talking about? We're not in Greece. I don't understand. Stay with me. All right. So um, synergeo is the Greek word. It may sound familiar because we get the word synergy from it. What is synergy? It's working together, things coming together, which is exactly what it is. It's not working for, it's working with. This is a word soon, which is the Greek word for with, and this or together with. And ergeo is the word for work. So literally, he just puts two things together to work together with. Meaning whatever he's talking about in Romans 8, this isn't about God working for us, like we're the recipients of it. It's about God working with us to accomplish something according to his purpose. The God, it's not that God is working for us. He wants to work with us to do good. Now, if you look in the NIV, if you have a new international version and you look in the margin, you're going to see this translation. It's an alternative translation. I think increasingly this will be the translation as modern scholars and all that are going this direction. Because I think really what happened is that verse was so familiar in King James, you just bring the idea over into modern translations. But actually, I think it's a mistranslation that instead of a little pillow comfort thing, let's rip up the pillow and see this as a mandate in a broken world. And here's the way the NIV, the alternative translation, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good as we are called for his purposes. That God not only wants us to pray, but he invites us to join him, to work with him, to move into darkness in this world with light, to move into hopelessness with hope, to move into need with love. You and I are called to be his redeemers and his restorers and to move into this messed up world to make it better. And one day Jesus will return. He'll make it. He'll make a new heaven, and new earth. It'll be all good. In the meantime, you and I are invited to work together with him to do good in this bad and difficult world. Now, that's true of all of life. But let's think about what that means when it comes to work, when it comes to business. It means you and I are not just there. You and I, God has placed you where he's placed you because he cares about your work environment. He cares about your school. He cares about your hospital. He cares about your store. He cares about your company. He actually wants it to be a really, really good place for human beings there to be able to flourish. And he's put you there to help make that happen as a redeemer, as a restorer, to restore to that work environment what God originally intended to work to be. Which means if you have just a little bit of influence, you say, man, I'm not the CEO. I like clean the office of the CEO. That's okay. 
God's given you enough influence to do to say, I'm going to work with excellence because ultimately what the Bible says is I work for God. It says work, do our work in the Lord because he's our boss. If you may not like your boss, it doesn't matter because God is your ultimate boss and say, I'm here with a bigger purpose and I'm going to do a great job because I represent him and I'm going to do my job under the Lord and make this the best place it can be. And I'm going to lift other people up and I'm going to create a work environment where people can flourish. Some of you have more influence. Maybe you're a manager of a team or manager of a store or manager of something. If you're a manager of something, you've got a lot of responsibility because that means your job is to make an environment where people on your team can love going to work and live into their calling and live into their gifting to the glory of God. Those of you who maybe are leaders in a company, you're executives in a company, or you own a company, holy moly, you've got an incredible opportunity to create a kind of work environment that God would be like, yes, that is what I want. That's where people can flourish. That's where people can find the joy and significance of work because of what you've created. What does that look like? Let's think about it a little bit. And these are just some initial thoughts. Cultivate an environment where people can express their unique gifting as a means to glorify God, helping people find joy and meaning in their work. That if you are a manager, especially, that's what you get to do. And it glorifies God when you do that. Influence the work environment to give equal opportunity and treatment to all workers, since we are all made in God's image to make sure it really is an equitable workplace. To encourage a perspective that sees the ultimate goal of business as not simply maximizing profits, but the common good to say, how is our company going to make this community better? How is our company making this world better? It's not just about bottom. Our bottom line really isn't just profits. Our bottom line is the common good. Lift up the countenance of everyone you come in contact with through encouragement, service and joy. It doesn't matter who you are in the organization. You can lift people up in a world where there's a lot of people who are downcast right now just by encouragement and affirmation. Do your own work as if God is your boss as unto the Lord, which is what the New Testament says, realizing that you represent him when we or you are on the job. That ultimately we work for him. And my prayer for us, like I said, is to send us charged up into work with a whole new perspective, not just about the cultural issues, but individually to say, man, when I go to work, I want to go to work to partner with God and restoring to this environment what he intended. And my my really hope is that that you would think about this enough and it would change your attitude and your work ethic and lots of other things enough and just your whole what you focus on at work that people would take notice. To be like, what got into you? Like, you used to come late and complain a lot and take really long breaks. And all, and all of a sudden, you're like worker of the year. What got into you? You'd be able to say, oh, well, I found out I work for God. And he put me here. And even though this may not be my favorite job, that it's the job I have right now. And Jesus said, if you want a better job, then be faithful in the one you have now. That's how it works. And God will give you more responsibility. I want to do a great job for my company, for other people, and, you know, and for Jesus. And so I, that's what I'm doing. Or maybe you're a manager of a team and people are like, people on your team are like, man, what got into you? Like all of a sudden you're nice. And you care about me outside of work. And you actually are thoughtful about 
like my work environment and am I flourishing and how I could do better. And sometimes you have hard conversations, but you do that in a loving way, like consider my feelings and and all that. be like, what happened? And everybody starts wanting to work on your team because you're the best team to work for. Or maybe you run a company or you own a company. You have the opportunity to create this island of health in a world of lots of unhealthy companies and businesses that that lift people up and that make our world better. So much so that you start attracting the best of the best who want to work for you. And God wants to, you to join him in that, meaning he will with all that wherever we're at in the company or business or school or whatever. He just is asking us to join him, meaning We're not on our own. He's going to help us. In fact, we're just coming alongside him and he's placed us there on purpose. So we're going to pray that God's going to help us. And here's the other thing before we pray, I'm going to ask you to do. And that is, I'm going to ask you, if you're in a small group, like here at Chase Oaks, maybe an online group. I think most of ours really are online right now. But if you're in a small group at Chase Oaks or somewhere else, I want you to talk to your group about this and say, how how could we go to work differently? How could we run our company, do our jobs differently? How could I be a teacher differently? How could I be a medical worker differently? Whatever it is, how could I do my store differently? However, whatever it is your job is. And just learn from each other, brainstorm with each other. And if you're not in a small group, you know what I'm going to tell you? Get in a group. Don't try to go it alone. Don't try to figure it out yourself. We can't figure out anything by ourselves in life. We're not made for that. We need to encourage each other and help each other. So get in a group and you can do that. All you have to do is go online at chaseoaks.org. You'll see how to get in a group and have this conversation. The cool thing is, is God is at work. He cares about your work. He cares about business and he wants to use you and me to make it what he intended to be in the first place. So let's let's pray together. And I'm going to really pray a prayer of a prayer of commissioning. Some of you work for, you know, like money. Some of you work and nobody's paying you. It doesn't matter. Some of you volunteer. Some of you. So I, I'm including everybody in this. OK, and I want to commission you. Because like Romans 8:28, I believe, says. Is that God is at work in the world and he wants to work with you through you. To do good. Right where he's placed you according to his purposes. And I'm going to pray right now that God will give you the energy and the perspective to do your work as under the Lord. And to fulfill your gifting and to fulfill your calling. And to influence that work environment to be all that God intended. Father, I pray that you would fill us with everything we need to do our work well as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.